You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome to Surf Stories, the podcast brought to you by the Florida Surf Film Festival. I'm your host, John Brooks. With me, as always, is co-host Kevin Miller. Thanks, John. Good to be here. And today, uh, we have a great story for you. Uh, We're joined by Jamie Meiselman. Uh, He is going to be joining us from up in uh, Long Island in New York. Uh, He resides in New Jersey. But uh, the story he's going to be telling us today is uh, about a surf park in Central Florida. All too familiar with this one, John. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, the the title of this episode is actually The Anatomy of a Surf Park Failure. And uh, Jamie is going to kind of give us the rundown of what transpired between 1998 or 99 when he first had the idea to uh, build a, a wave pool. And then uh, fast forward up to 2007, 2008 to the financial crash that ultimately led to the demise of the Ron John Surf Park in Orlando, Florida. Nine years of his life. Nine years. Yeah, nine years and not one wave ridden. Well, I shouldn't say that. Yeah, I mean, no. a couple waves ridden in the, in the test pool uh, by uh, local guys, uh, Aaron Cormican and Evan Geiselman. Oh my God! Yeah, it's hard to call that a real wave, but you're you are technically correct. <laughs> nice, nice. Well, we're super stoked to have Jamie join us today and uh, give us the the lowdown, the good and the bad. And uh, he has a lot of knowledge about wave pools, and uh, probably give you a little insight into why some of the wave pools that you see now are uh, having trouble getting up and running. Yeah, no kidding. There's a whole business model you absolutely have to have where, you know, you might find at the end of this, the 
cart was before the horse. Sure. Um, a lot of these other folks have actually developed or just used existing technology, but haven't given a whole hell of a lot of thought to throughput on the revenue side and how you generate that membership income and get people happy from a wave standpoint. And so this is part of where Jamie's knowledge comes in in combination with Tom Lochtefeld, as you'll find out in coming up with what could be, you know, the VHS version uh, that comes out at the end. Yeah, I mean, I always thought the hard part was making a killer wave, and apparently that's the easy part. It's wild, <laughs> I know, right? They can make really good waves. The hard part is is making enough of them and with enough frequency that you can actually turn it into a business model. Quite a few move, uh, moving parts, and uh, it's wonderful that uh, we get to share this with you. I think you'll find it enlightening, especially anybody in Central Florida who had their name on that list and was ready to go surf and, you know, inevitably just uh, had to watch it float away into the ether, ether, right? Yeah, yeah. So thanks for joining us. Uh, We're super stoked to have Jamie with us, and uh, let's hear his story. We're we're super stoked to have you and kind of get the rundown on uh, what uh, what happened back in those early days of uh, wave pools and and find out what went right and what went wrong and um, if you if you could convince yourself to do it again you know what you might do differently but yeah. Um, but yeah this is a, a story for me it's uh, it's kind of near and dear to my heart like when when I was in the seventh grade I actually did a science fair project and I made a little wave pool and I I my theory was that I wanted to prove that you could make a wave break a certain direction by affecting the bottom. And so like I built like a sand bottom one and then I built a reef, like a quote unquote reef bottom. And uh, I just used like a little, it was actually like a two by four to like flap back and forth to actually push the water to make the wave. But I think uh, most of us in Florida at some point or on the East coast, you know, in particular, and, you know, we dreamed about wave pools just because we have such long flat spells here. And uh, so wh- when did you first start dreaming about wave pool technology and, and that sort of thing? Yeah, you know, I think the first time the idea popped into my head was probably around late 1999. Um, and it was when I was living in Vermont working for Burton. Okay. And I was kind of thinking you know what's my next move gonna be (laughs) and I I I think I I don't know if I had surfed Typhoon Lagoon before or was about to um but the whole idea of it I think is the same like you said is a lot of what east coasters think about right we got a lot of downtime (laughs) you know so we our mind wanders and we're kind of like ah you know I've seen this thing at Typhoon Lagoon. I've seen the one in Japan. I'm sure it's possible. Uh, you know, all these all these pools were kind of built for surfing as a secondary use. Sure. But what if you really put your mind to it, like as a surfer, and said, okay, I want to build a pool that is, you know, first use is surfing. And that's, you know, that was around, you know, 1999. And um, it took, you know, to make a long story short, I think we closed on our financing to build this pool in Orlando in 2004. So it was five years from, you know, like the idea in my head to actually digging dirt. Wow. 
Wow. So that in 99, when you first had the idea in your head, did you have any, any idea or notion about the, the tech that existed at that time? Or were you, were you having to literally start from scratch? So if you recall 1999, the, the internet was just sort of a couple of years into its life. Yeah. And so you could do like I, in Vermont, I actually was like pretty stoked because we got like a high speed uh, data connection. Like, so it wasn't like the dial up where it went, you know, to connect to like Surfline back then or, or whatever else. There was so few websites, but you could do searches. And I found, you know, I searched for wave pools. And again, I mean, the internet was just so thinly populated with information yeah. even then. But I found these guys in New Zealand, ASR, and they had these were academic guys like professors who did all their research doctorate research on waves breaking in the ocean and they mm. were surfers and they had like a rudimentary website they're based in new zealand and they also on their website i think said oh you know we can do weight make wave pools and i'm mm. like okay well at least these guys are surfers so maybe they'll know more about what i'm after and i i reached out to them and, you know, they're like, oh, yeah, nah, we can do it, you know, you know, and so we kind of got sold their bill, their bill of goods. Um, but they weren't the wave making people. So that there were, you know, the companies are still there. Like back then, the, there was a couple companies that built water parks and wave pools. And it was Aquatic Development Group out of Albany, New York. And it was Whitewater, you know, out of Vancouver. And those are those, you know, those guys are still big time in the game of water parks. And I know Whitewater is now one of the newer people into the wave pool, surf pool game. Um, so there were a few of those kind of water park guys. And I'm, and I kind of knew enough in my head, like, okay, we're still going to need like people with substantial, you know, commercial water park construction design build experience. But then we got to bring in the surfer guys who understand how waves break better. So right. I put, so I went to IAPA, you know, in Orlando, or maybe it was in Vegas at that time, but I, the big IAPA show, the, the trade show for the amusement and entertainment industry. So that was like everything from like cotton candy machines to roller coasters to flow riders, you know, to water parks. Oh, cool. And, you know, I kind of pitched this, like, you know, I had this little rough business plan and I went around to like every one of those water park people and, um, and the ADG guys were the most receptive and, and was good because they were in the East Coast. They were in Albany. They were close to me when I was in Vermont. It was only like an hour or two away. So I hit it off with them and kind of put their heads together with the New Zealand wave professor guys. And that's kind of how it went from an idea to, okay, what's it really going to take to build this thing? You know, how much is it going to cost and what's the wave going to look like? Right, right. So take me, and I'm sure some of what you just talked about encapsulates a bit of that time period, but from 99, yep. when you first have the idea, to 2004, when you're, you're actually breaking ground on the test pool, um, you know, if you can, kind of give me a, a brief synopsis of, um, you know, okay, you've had the idea, you've contacted these guys, you've made a business plan, you've talked to ADG, what, what are some of the other steps involved in terms of raising the capital um, you know, to, to get to the point to where you could break ground. Yeah, that's funny. It's funny. Cause I'm, I'm going through it in my head now. 
And the funny thing is, so, you know, I, I got ADG together. I got these guys, ASR out of New Zealand together. I wrote a little business plan. And then I just started going out and trying to like raise money. You know, I kind of, you know, with ADG, they gave me, you know, they're, they're pretty good about, hey, this is going to cost about this much. Okay. And I kind of put together a plan, got to raise money. And I was talking to some people I knew, some people I didn't know. And people who I knew who were much, you know, older, more experienced, had made their money were like, Hey, you know, you, um, you ever like, have you ever rate, like they started talking in, in financial terms that I didn't understand. <laughs> and, they're, and, and they're like, you know, you may want to consider going back to school and getting your MBA. <laughs> <laughs> like in, in a kind of very subtle way, like, listen, man, you're going to get just trampled on, you know, in the, when, when, you know, in the big, in the big boy world, if you're going to try to go out and raise millions of dollars. So, yeah, I guess when when you're asking for that amount of money, you gotta you gotta learn how to ask, right? Yeah, I mean, I think initially we thought we could do it for like three or four million, and at the end of the day, we raised I think eleven million to do wow. it in in Orlando. But anyway, so I I I was like, okay, you know, I I went back I went back to business school and went to, uh, moved from Vermont back to New York City, went to Columbia when my wife was already working, and. Um, I had this, but it was cool because I went to business school with a with a plan in my head. You know, it's like most people go to school and they're just like, I don't know what I'm going to do, right? And I'm like, I know exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to build a wave pool and I'm going to acquire whatever bit of knowledge I need to make it happen. So, you know, I, I majored in entrepreneurship and, and finance and you know how business school is. Like there's a lot of opportunities for entrepreneurship and they even had a venture capital fund in the school and I entered like my business plan into that and one a hundred thousand bucks like wow. seed capital and so long story short is you know that took it took uh, like 18 months you know from starting to finishing so i guess i graduated in 2002 from business school with like a much better business plan and a, and a yeah. more not that not like you, you need to do that i'm not saying everyone needs to go out and get their mba but like it definitely helped me um and i came out with a you know better connections better plan and it still took nearly two years to raise the money, you know, raise, you're raising money, but you're also finding the piece of property, right? I don't remember exactly how or why, but Ron John got interested because they were building that new mall in Orlando, Festival Bay. This was, you know, this was right out, you know, the recession was 2001, right? The, the, back then. And so we were, this was late 2002. We were coming out of the recession, like things were growing again. And this mall, there were, you know, they had a big Bass Pro Shops and a big Ron John and the, the developer for the mall, they had like a consultant who found me somehow. Um, I think we launched a website, surfparks.com, which some guy from, I let lapse and some guy from Utah bought. <laughs> but, <laughs> so, but so we, um, we launched a little website and that got us a little bit of PR, you know, and like Wired Magazine did a story on us. And so that really helped kind of get it in front of a lot more people and help get the, and maybe Kevin, I don't know, maybe that's how you found out about it. I don't know. Or maybe Surfline did a story on us too. Um, I'll tell so you. We, yeah. Just uh, as a side note, because I was teaching school at Glen Ridge Middle School in Winter Park, uh, language arts. I had just made a pivot in my career. And uh, I was, I think, just realizing how hard teaching middle school really was. And Shane Murray sent me an email, John, 
and said, Hey, you got to check this out. This is insane. You're going to love it. You need to sign up to be a member. And oh, so nice. your, mem- your membership database had already started in 03. Right. And that's when I found out about it. And uh, that's when I, uh, I got interested, obviously. Okay. Yeah. So we launched that website. And, and when we launched the website, it was basically like, Hey, this is what we're going to do. We're going to build this pool in Florida. We're going to build this pool in New York. Cause there was a project that ADG was working on for a massive indoor water park in New York city on Randall's Island. And, wow. and they kind of earmarked like, yeah, I think your idea is pretty cool. Let's do the wave pool in there too. So we kind of had a couple projects we were talking about on the website. And then we, like Kevin said, we, I figured to help raise money, let's pre-book memberships. Not, we weren't asking for money, but we were just trying to get people to sign up. And so we kind of had a feel for how many people were really interested. Sure. And, and we got thousands of people on this membership pre-booking list for Florida and for New York. And ultimately that really helped us, you know, <laughs> the raising of the money. So it was like, like Kevin said, like from 2003 to 2004 was literally like a dollar at a time. I mean, we had, I think we had 75 investors for, I think we raised 6 million in equity and then the, uh, and then 4 million in debt, which was secured by the landowner, the, the developer of the mall. So okay. we had 10 million uh, in the bank, which again, took, took until, you know, took two years to pull that one off. Um, and then we started doing some more detailed costing, realized we needed another million. And I think we got, yeah, they raised the, the loan from like 3 million to 4 million. And I think we raised another million in equity from, you know, from everyone else. So we had 11 total and we thought that could build the Ron John surf park. Uh, with 75 investors. Wow. And um, that was when, you know, the fun started. <laughs> <laughs> and I think, I, I can't remember if it was before or after, but Van's uh, skate park is right next to next yeah. door there too. Was that there at the time? Yeah, it was. And, you know, I mean, it was a killer setup. Make no mistake. I mean, we, we had a Van skate park literally 100 feet away from us. It was indoor, outdoor park. There was a Ron John shop. So, you know, Ron John was our, like our naming rights partner. It was a licensed deal. Okay. And Ron John was going to run the shop in our surf park. So we had a cool little, you know, everything was, I would, you know, I would do the same thing again. I mean, it was a pretty killer um, setup, you know, in terms of where it was located, you know, in Orlando, great, great place for a wave pool. You know, people come from all over the world, not to mention so many surfers within an hour drive on both coasts and, in, and who live in Orlando. So, it was a, it was a very smart, I think, you know, uh, setup that we had going there. Yeah. Um, I mean, the con- the concept seems bulletproof. I mean, yeah. you throw in the surf expo pro, you know, yeah. Yeah. event twice a year too. And right. Yeah. That's uh, yeah, had a lot going for it for sure. Like it was if, of all the places to open your first surf pool. I think that was pretty spot on. I got no regrets about that. Okay. So, so now at this point in the story, like I said, it, it sounds bulletproof. So where, where did the wheels start to come off? Yeah, I think the wheels came off. I could see the wheels coming off behind the scenes and I was sounding the alarms and it was pretty scary, which is these, our technology partners, the guys from New Zealand, again, they were, they were PhDs, they were academics, but they had really no commercial experience, you know, like business experience. Mm-hmm. And 
So literally when we like the money's in the bank and we're like, okay, it's time to go. It's time to build this thing. The guys in New Zealand were like, okay, well now it's time to, you know, start the work in the laboratory. <laughs> I'm like, laboratory? <laughs> oh, shit. Like, like I thought we were buying this thing from you when you were installing it, you know? Yeah. So it, they were like, well, no, you know, we got to, you know, like they really, it was an idea that they tested like rudimentary with computer models, you know, for, for them, it was, I mean, the slopes, you know, as you know, from your middle school project, like the slopes to make a wave break, all that science is pretty well known, like to make a hollower sure. wave, it's steeper and the, you know, the water depth and all that. But these guys, their whole deal was they're like, okay, well, we, we have a database of all the, we measured all the reefs of the best waves in the world. Like they went with like a sounding device and a little dinghy to like Indo and, you know, like all over Fiji and measured the, the reefs of the best waves. And they had a database and they're like, we can make all these waves. If we just make the floor of the pool adjustable, we can, you know, raise and lower these sections in the floor and make, and we have this, this database of all these great waves. And so that was like the big selling point for huh. them. And it was also the big selling point for our project. Like we're going to make rights less. We're going to make PG, you know, cloud break. We're going to make, restaurants we're going to make you know macaronis we can make we have all these data we have all these waves mapped and we're going to wow. recreate them in the pool and it was so cool sounding and then when it came time to actually building that adjustable floor it was like okay well let's go to the lab and figure it out and we're like dude like we got deadlines here we got timelines <laughs> and now they wanted of course our money to like do their little lab experiments so right then i was like i mean i, I started losing sleep from that point on. And Kevin, honestly, I don't remember how much I disclosed to you at the time because Kevin was our membership manager. He was so um, charming, you know? I'm like, this is a guy, <laughs> he, like, he, he's, he, he surfs, he gets it, he's from Florida. He, can, he, he gets along with everyone. He's gonna be like, kind of like our guy to deal on a day-to-day -day basis with all the members and all the hardcore, you know, all the surfers. So I don't remember how much I told Kevin about how, I, I think I might've, I, I think I, I was pretty, um, I used to, I used to vent to Kevin a lot. <laughs> I got, but, I got uh, involved, you know, as a potential member, exactly. And then eventually I ended up raising um, about 1.2 through uh, other, you know, friends and, and so forth locally for the most part. Yep. And uh, so along with one of the other, with the lead investor, I was kind of like the co-lead taking care of a lot of a lot of the legal stuff and I got a PhD speaking of PhDs and how to raise money and then mm -hmm. promptly lose it um <laughs> so I, I remember my dad telling me who's you know a successful businessman and all that and he's like look I I have to say uh I could have told you to go get a MBA or something like that but you might not have learned as much as you've learned just now you know it, this is like in the in the rear view mirror kind of thing right but so yeah, I got the double then. Yeah, I got you both. Got the double. <laughs> That's right. And so, if uh, if you're if you're going toward that, how much was disclosed? It was happening in front of our eyes, literally. Yeah. I mean, I mean the the photo album I sent you to review, which nobody can see, obviously, this is a podcast. But the um, training pool, which we discovered, you know, after it was outlined, was too small and then we discovered that yeah. the water return and the wave dampening uh technology 
was also not working as well as we had hoped as you know so all of that on top of the fact that the reef was coming apart at the seams on two foot waves that yeah it was apparently very obvious that the whole adjustable reef if anything was going to sink the ship and that we were going to have to go raise some more money quickly and and reprove and or go to a static floor within you know a, a, a quick pivot like Hey, everybody, we thought this was like the selling point and everything, but um, we're, I don't know how many dollars we were deep into uh, New Zealand PhD slash engineer fantasy land, but it's, it's something I think you and I, it's probably the biggest thing that you and I regret is not, or being too naive on the claims put forth by, you know, in the, in the realm of intellectual property, do the claims actually match? match like a one sixteenth model like we probably should have done. It wasn't even the modeling. It was that these guys had no idea how to build this thing commercially. Yeah. I mean, that's why yeah. I have to say, that's why yeah. I was so furious at the time. Like how, how did I write a check? I did, I know how I did cause I was so <laughs> excited about the idea, but how did we all write checks without doing more, you know, due diligence on the, the claims made by ASR. And uh, it, it's definitely the biggest um, regret I have on yeah. that thing. I've I mean, that, a lot that's honestly one of, the, one of the big stories of this discussion, which is, you know, the fantasy of this whole thing that we've all had totally can blind rational thought. Yeah. And we were all kind of, in it hook line and sinker because we so wanted to believe it was going to be what everyone what what was promised and you know when now when i mean just looking at other people doing wave pool projects over the last you know 10 years my you know i've spoken at some of those surf park uh, conferences that they have yeah and i my 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 warning is always like don't get blinded by the fantasy like this is you know, when push comes to shove, this is a very gnarly, tons of moving pieces, business to run, and a very gnarly, tons of moving pieces, technology, uh, you know, to deal with. And the fun is like, you know, I thought the fun was just starting, but like the fun is over. Like, <laughs> like yeah. when you're actually put the shovel in the dirt, you know, it's, it doesn't matter what you're doing. Like you have to execute and you have to execute without the blinders on. And we, you know, the blinders came off for me during this whole process. And it wasn't like I was naive the whole time. I watched this go down and I tried to save it. You know, I I tried to say, you know what, this moving reef thing, as cool as it is, is going to bankrupt us. Let's just take a step back and make a concrete floor. I know we can make a really good right, a really good left. Our wave system is, you know, it's, it's the same system that they're using it's hydraulic. I mean, sorry, it's, it's, you know, it's air pressure and vacuum, the same systems that they're using at BSR that, you know, that Tom Lockfeld's using now with surf lock and Palm Springs air pressure. Like it's not different. It's the same tech. And I, and we knew even back then how much variety we could get out of that wave system with a fixed floor, with a concrete floor that didn't move. So I was trying to save the project and just, Hey, let's, let's just back off and let's build a pool with a fixed floor and take this one step at a time. The wave's still going to be amazing. 
but at that point, you know, you're dealing with boards of directors, you're dealing with the landlord and Ron John, who had a lot of influence over this thing. And ultimately I tried, but couldn't kind of pivot it. As you to, say. to that point, Jamie, you had succeeded in making everybody understand what it was going to take. Um, yeah. But not before one of the, the lead investor inserted himself and started ordering checks written to him. And uh, also like who else? Let's see. Um, the lab costs of modeling this thing properly right. the, the way you wanted to do it, like Tom has done now and improving yeah. uh, were, were more extensive than we thought. Then we got some other legal stuff going on here as it relates to IP and releasing former, let's just say reef designers from yeah. their, uh, what they claim is our obligation to them. And right. so it was, it was got so complicated so fast. Yeah. And then, and then we had two rounds of financing, sorry, the next round we needed the, we needed another 18 million bucks. And so, I think we were about to close on a real estate investment trust investment. And this was like 2000, I want to say the end of 2017. And then no, uh, 2007, it was right before that. Sorry, seven. Right yeah, before two, the massive yeah. real estate crash. That's right. It was right. So the, yeah. the, the long beach, uh, REIT, yeah. the long beach REIT fell apart. And then we had some like middle Eastern money that was probably going to um, close. And of course, like the, 2008 crisis started to uh, tumble. And so at that point, I think everybody threw up their hands and yeah, it was, uh, it, it was take your right off time and, uh, and go away because it was, um, it was an absolute fiasco from there on out. It's, it, it was unfortunate, but I mean, we learned a lot. Like I, if we had to do it again and you said, okay, three years later, you had a good, yeah, you get uh, an investor worth twenty million dollars. What you wouldn't do is put the cart before the horse. You would go out, make sure the tech is reliable, which you did, yep. and you kind of worked with Tom on that, I think. Yeah, I actually brought in Tom. You know, we we again we had a plan to to save it. Um, yeah, and in, and the guy actually the wave system we had installed there was was amazing. Again, it was just like it was it was vacuum and pressure, air chambers. Yeah, we had so much control over that. It was all computer controlled. I mean, it's not really any different from what they're doing at BSR now and in Palm Springs. So we knew we could make good waves. It just, again, all the complexities, all these elements that were in the periphery, it just got so complicated. It ultimately just fell under its own weight of, of complexity. Yeah. John, just to give you an idea of demand. Let me me just say this. We had about 6,300 people signed up for 2000 membership slots. So we were at, you know, with no money in, you have to assume that, easily uh two-thirds of those people would drop out when it came time to cut a check sure. so we would have likely been at full capacity kind of like a, a semi-private golf club would be right um, but that was uh only anyway just there was huge demand as there, as you can imagine there would be sure, yeah, sure. it's not really any different let me reel now. it back let me reel it backwards a little bit so you've con- how long did it take to construct that uh that trial pool yeah so yeah we we built the plan was to build a 40 foot wide beginner pool first kind of work out any of the kinks and then build a big pool, which is I think 120 feet wide uh, after that. And building the small one didn't take long, maybe like four or five months when we were surfing in it. Um, And, you know, again, it was the wave system worked flawlessly. It was really good. It was just that movable floor. That was a nightmare. 
And but you know, there were some moments where we had it working. You know, yeah. and it was really you know it was a waste of chest high, really you know two two turns maybe, but it was like, huh, this thing kind of works. And then yeah. you know you turn the lights on and you see like pieces of reef sticking up <laughs> like out of the water, <laughs> like steel and oh god, yeah, it was it was a Rube Goldberg uh, floor for sure. <laughs> yeah. So what what was the like? How was the floor constructed? Was it pneumatic? Like what? How was it? Moving? Yeah, it was pretty pretty wild. So it was um, hydraulic rams, like big giant hydraulic rams that okay. were. Um, each one was attached to uh, a, com a computer. And so the computer would send information to the RAM. I guess there's a solenoid valve or something in between that, that interprets the data from the computer and into like a, the shaft moving a certain amount of millimeters or centimeters. Okay. And that RAM is, holding, is pulling a cable and the cable is attached to a hub. The floor was basically a bunch of triangles and at, the, at where the, the triangles all come together in the corner is a hub. So every every place where the triangles came together was one of those cords that was attached to a RAM, which was reading data from a computer. Okay. So the computer would send different elevation, you know, points to every one of those hubs and you'd create a different floor. And it okay. sort of worked. Like it's, I mean, I'm, I'm explaining it to you, it makes sense. Yeah, it's no, not, uh, yeah, again, it's, it's sounds, not rocket it, science. It sounds amazing. <laughs> So what, which part of the component, which component in that structure was the one that failed or did you have multiple yes. failures? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, to be fair, no, that, you know, the computer was fine. The cables were fine. The Rams were fine. It was the floor itself. The hubs couldn't handle the pressure. And it was literally like these stainless steel triangles that were all, you know, joined together with like a flexible hub. Um, and then it had like literally like a, a geotextile tarp over the whole thing, right? Okay. And so, yeah, the problem is you're pulling on all those different hubs in different directions, you know, and it created all these forces in different dimensions that we did, the metal would get all bent. And, yeah. and then ultimately when you're running waves over it, so here's something I learned, you know, which maybe is more common knowledge now, but a wave, as you know, it's like circular particle motion, right? So in the front of the wave, the the the, um, the weight is pushing down, mm -hmm. but then as the wave passes by, there's a lifting force because it's you right. know the particles are then going up. So imagine every time a wave goes by, you got all of the weight of that wave pushing down, and then and then almost instantaneously pulling up. So we would like stand on the floor when a wave went by. And as it would go by, you'd, you'd sink down and then pop up and you'd hear like a big, like th -thump. the entire floor would like sink three inches and then jump up three inches. Wow. And that was just from like a one or two foot wave passing by. Yeah. And it was, so then we were kind of like any kind of moving floor is going to be a shit show. Like sure. we got to go back to concrete. No wonder they build wave pools out of concrete. <laughs> like, like, you know, like you really need, solid floor to to handle remember when uh, bsr built their first pool and they had like a geotextile floor yep and after yeah. like a day it was destroyed it was in tatters yeah they had you know so i'm laughing while they're building this pool it's like <laughs> you know I, I i might have tried to reach out to them i don't know but like you know that that geotextile floor is gonna last about a day 
Yeah. And sure enough, they had to drain the pool, pull that whole thing out and then redo the whole floor in concrete. Wow. Um, so yeah, it was, um, I don't even remember what the question was, but we learned a lot. No, I, we were just kind of, I just was wanting about to take what folks, failed. Yeah. 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 Through the process of, yeah. so you, you, you know, you, you have the idea, you get the funding, um, you, you know, you, you meet Kevin, he's, he's signing up members right and left. You got, yeah. you, you know, you take four or five months, you build the pool and, uh, even working through you, your complexities with your New Zealand scientists and, and their yeah. lack of preparedness maybe. Um, and now you're, you know, I, I, I'm, I was flipping through the pictures that Kevin sent me earlier and you got, you got Aaron Cormican and you got, um, yeah. little Evan Geiselman and a few yeah. other guys surfing in this pool. And, yeah. you know, some of the pictures, like you look at it and you're like, dude, scale that up. And that's a sick wave. Like, you know, yeah. there's a, you know, we knew, we, we knew it. We knew that we could make it work. Yeah. So when we got to that point, it was pretty clear to me, like, listen, let's just throw this moving floor out the window. Let's take a step back. Let's put a concrete. We were going to put a concrete floor in that learning pool and make it like 20 feet wider, which would have been fine for like running a waist high wave and teach pushing people in on soft tops. Yeah. And let's, and then let's build a big pool with a concrete floor and, you know, head high waves and we'll be in business. And that was my proposal. But um, ultimately again, you know, I'm dealing with the board of directors and right. You know, I mean, remember, like, I started this idea in my head. I owned 100% of it. By the time the money was raised, I think I owned 10% of it. <laughs> and um, so my influence, ultimately, you know, for big decisions was completely diluted. Sure. But my proposal was, okay, let's in concrete floor. Let's simplify this thing. We know we can make a good wave. Let's stop going for the grand slam and let's just hit a double, you know. Sure. It's going to work. And but so what was the response? Get it done, you know? What was the response to that? So you you know you're you're the you're the idea man, you're the creator right. of all this and you you see the the uh, problem and you go back and you say, "Okay guys, this is this is why it doesn't work. Here's an easy pivot to make it yeah. work." And what's the response? So what happened was one of my one of my partners um he was in the process of like trying to save this thing and he had he had like 10, $20 million lined up and he had, and he basically came and said, Oh no, you know, we can, we, you know, we're going to, we're going to do this. We're going to go back to the drawing board. He, he wanted to re up with the guys in New Zealand. Ah. Like, and as it turned out, he actually all also had a consulting agreement with them ah. where he was working. He was, he was, he was buying their company basically to do gotcha. reef stuff. Or, and so, all this stuff was going on behind the scenes and he came in kind of throwing his weight around like, Oh, I'm bringing 20 million. So the board of directors basically believed him. Gotcha. And then, so he's ready. And, and then they basically were like, you know, let's just wait. We'll, we'll redevelop all this. We'll build it, blah, blah, blah. And then that whole thing fell on its face because, well, they started doing the, they like they re-upped with the guys in New Zealand. And I basically told the, you know, the people on the board, I'm like, I think this is the worst idea ever. Once bitten, twice shy. Like these guys are not, not capable of doing what we need. Sure. That's when I kind of brought in Tom Lochtefeld and some of these other guys that I that I thought could do a better job. Uh, but ultimately, I didn't have the the weight, you know, to throw around anymore. And they went with this other guy's plan. But then, meanwhile, they built this whole another model in New Zealand. Blah blah blah. So eight hundred thousand bucks into that. 
Yeah, then the re- the recession, the real estate uh-huh. crash hit in 2008, and that pretty much sunk the whole thing. Wow. Yeah. So they, at but, what point? What point were they at on? So basically, they they kind of moved into phase two, which was the other guy's plan, not not yeah. your plan. But how right. far along did they get into phase two before the economy crash? You know, kind they of. They built a model. They built another model. Our cash yeah. runway. Our cash. Speaking to that. Our cash run, I'm thinking we got to raise more money. We got to raise more money. And so that's exactly why, because we were going to run out. And that's exactly why Jamie's partner um, had carried so much clout with the board um, because it appeared reasonable that he was going to come to the table with 20 million bucks and cash talk, money talk. In that case, we were just, and Jamie, even though he was right, was going to have to get sidelined. And um, yeah, it just, and then it went, spiraled out of act for, for for what it's worth when that fell apart so did our relationship with that partner so to speak and then we were back to the static floor and it looked possible that we were going to get that money from the middle eastern source i think right jamie and then that i don't even remember apart. that <laughs> oh okay well that i think that was greg jones telling me that okay had money right. lined up or somebody like that you know something like that i don't know I do remember that we were going to go back to the fixed floor. A lot of people on the board admitted to me I was right regarding we should have just done that from the get-go. Um, and But ultimately, Ron John had a lot of pull because they were an anchor tenant in that mall. Right. And they 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 put in some money, not a lot. It wasn't like they were a huge shareholder, but they did put in a little bit. And I think when we went back to Ron John – and remember, I don't know if you know this, but the, 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 the big wigs at Ron John were all ex-Disney guys. They were very savvy yep. in the theme park world. And they were like, oh, you want to do a fixed floor and you want to do kind of this less than amazing thing? No, you know, Disney uh-huh. doesn't do it that way. Uh-huh. So they lost interest. And because their name was on it, the landlord lost interest. And that's when the whole, we could have saved it. We really could have. We probably would have been, you know, celebrating our what? 15th anniversary right now at the, at the pool, but we could have saved it for sure. We, you know, but I think when Ron John lost interest, um, the landlord lost interest and the whole thing just kind of petered out. Um, yeah. By, by the, the way, whimper, there, not there, a was, bang. there yeah. was no raising any private equity money for a period of two years, probably from, from mid 2008, say Lehman brothers uh, was September, 2008 um until maybe not even it, people were super cautious into 2012 2013 so it, it just yeah. was going to be in a possibility let's say we got it up and running by the end of 2007 we had a static floor there was just no way we were going to be able to pivot that fast and and then raise that extra money and get it done it, in all likelihood it was doomed the minute the the reef failed but remember, we you know what it is, is we actually never spent any of the loan that we got. So we got a $4 million yeah. line of credit and we never we never drew down on that. So in theory, we could have said, all right, hey, we're going to save this thing. We're going to build this static pool. We're going to open the business. It could be the Ron John Surf School. It's only the smaller pool just to get moving, get some revenues going. Sure. And especially right there, it's a perfect, you know, I think that was what I'd proposed. Let's just get, let's open this business, you know. Um, and we had the money to do that, but I was overruled. <laughs> I was just one vote on the board of seven, I think, right? Yeah. So, so what I'm hearing is that we could, instead of talking about it today, we could be getting barreled in Orlando today. 
Yeah. <laughs> once, once again, Ron Johns is the scourge of surfing in Central Florida. <laughs> <laughs> well, you you said it, I didn't. Listen, working with, working with them was interesting. I'll just put it to you that way. There's some yeah. good people there. There's some people there that come at it from a different angle than we come at it as surfers. Sure. And I'll just put it to you that way. <laughs> yeah, and I, I don't say I, I worked with Ron Johns on various things over the years as a sales rep, and the, the people there are wonderful. I don't right. mean anything anything super negative by that, but yeah, 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 yeah different, different animal. So, fast forward to I'm I'm drawing a blank on what the what year it was when when Kelly's pool launched, and they I I remember that video that started circulating around, and it was. Kelly, it was early morning and he's all nervous and you see him and then they show the reaction. He stands back. He's got his hands raised up over his head. He's just, you know, he's looking like, it looks like he's looking at, you know, perfect J-Bay or something. And they show that pristine sheet glass barreling head high wave come down that wave pool. Um, when you saw that, what, what was your feeling? You know, I... I actually never really got out of the wave pool business. So even back when I was always in touch with Tom Lochtefeld, I'd, I'd even talked to him back, you know, about doing the Orlando thing. And so, and, and, and there's an interview actually just came out with him um, on the, uh, what is it? The surf park central website or something um, where you know, they're like, well, you know, you seem to have gone dormant for a while. He's like, dude, I've been working on this nonstop forever. Yeah. And it's true. Like, so I was basically in touch with Tom Lochtefeld on a weekly basis since this whole thing went away, because I believe so strongly in the concept, I knew we could do it. And the technology we used um, for Orlando, Tom ended up basically buying. He bought from this guy, Dick Bastinoff and Eric Von Enninger, who are the, from the Netherlands, were wave pool guys. You know, they, they, they make pr commercial wave pool systems. And Dick is, you know, a wave pool guy. Eric was a surfer, got his PhD at, at Delft Institute, which is like where all the incredible wave science happens. And so they were a perfect team. I brought these guys together to try to save this thing uh, in Orlando. And when nothing happened, Tom came in and swooped him up and brought him into his field and in doing that he he kind of took me along with him so i was pretty aware of what was going on you know from 2007 until this later thing we all i all we all knew about what it was going on we'd heard all the rumors you know tom okay. knows everything you know he hears everything sure so but when i saw it yeah i mean i was like fuck that could have been me you know <laughs> like i that you know i wouldn't have done it but honestly looking at kelly's wave i'm like that wave is amazing but from someone who tried, you know, understands the business side of it, I'm like, there's no way he's ever going to make a business out of that. The right. one wave every nine minutes or whatever it was. And, you know, it's sort of like what you would imagine in your dream, like a half a mile long, perfect head high barrel. But that doesn't make a business. Not to mention, right. you know, I, I know plenty of people who have surfed it. I haven't surfed it yet. But um it's just so long. You're just exhausted. It's like too much of a good thing. And then you're also so scared about wiping out that you're paranoid the whole time you're surfing it because it's so expensive on that ride that one wave. Yeah. You know? It's like 50 grand a day, right? That they yeah. charge and you get like, I don't know, 10 waves in a day. You know, it's like, think about that. 
Yeah. I've, waves uh, you, yeah. I've talked to several people that have surfed it, both professional surfers and yeah. average, average guys that I grew up with, you know, surfing right. constantly. Everybody says the same thing. They said it's the hardest wave they've ever surfed. Right. Most difficult. Yeah. yeah. So I looked at that from a critical commercial eye and I'm like, well, that's pretty amazing, but how's he, you can't run a business like that. You know, yeah. and he's, you know, when the WSL bought it and I'm just like, wow, that's another great decision by you guys. <laughs> I was going to say, that's the business model. You yeah, build it yeah. and then sell it. <laughs> right. um, so I was more impressed um, with the Waveguarding Cove when that came out. You know, I wasn't impressed with the Waveguarden towable, but the Waveguarden Cove, when they got the wave frequency up, you know, eight second intervals. Yeah. Um, I'm like, okay, these guys are, you know, these guys have it, have it figured out. At least they understand that you got to run a business. Right. You know, and if you want the wave to be more than just a, you know, an expensive fountain out in front, it's got to have high frequency. It's got to be usable. You know, the ride length doesn't have to be two minutes long. 10 seconds is enough, you know? Sure. And so, yeah, the, the way, but, but, you know, also knowing what I know about the, you know, when it, when BSR came with their pool, I'm like, great wave, but they, they made a, they made a 24 case on pool and they're only getting an eight second ride because their pool has no sidewalls. So yeah, I, w- I was going to ask you about that actually. Yeah. Every other case on pool you see is the, the case are at the end. You've got two sidewalls. And right. theirs, is, theirs looks like it's the opposite. You have a sidewall and the wave yep. comes down the side. Like, what do you think that they were, were they going for an advantage there? Do you think they have one? I think that it's cheaper because there's only one big wall. But then again, it's not cheaper because ne- like, like, look at it this way. A caisson is, is one chamber of water, you know, that's making one block of, of wave that's 10 feet wide, you know, right. and however big the wave is. So if you've got a 10 case on pool, it's a hundred feet wide, it's a hundred foot wide wave. Right. So they, they, ha- and let's say it takes one second to go 10 feet. Right. Okay. So that let, let's say 10 seconds is as long of a ride you're going to get out of 10 case on. So at BSR, they built 24 case that's bigger than the pool in Japan. That's the biggest number of, you know, 240 foot wide of wave generating. Remember Typhoon Lagoon's 120. It's 12 case on. So wow. twice the width of imagine two typhoon lagoons, the width, that wave yeah. would be great if they yeah. fixed the floor a little bit. Yeah. But so they built something twice as wide as typhoon lagoon, but you know, watch videos of that wave over and over again. It's eight seconds long. And because you're wasting all that swell, because when it comes off of the machine, there's nothing to hold it in. There's no walls to contain it. Right. So it just immediately disperses. And the wave is only surfable, like really close to the wall, right when it comes out. Right. So it takes, you know, five or six caissons for the wave to even form. You know how it kind of runs parallel to the to the wall. Yeah. And so you're taking off. By the time you're taking off and do your first bottom turn or pull, pull into the barrel, you're already 10, 12 caissons through. And then oh. all you – so it's a waste. It's a waste of horsepower. Um. And if you, you know, if you take 24 caissons, put walls on each side, you're going to get a 24 second ride and you're not wasting any of that horsepower. Gotcha. So now do you, do you think there's any advantage because they, because they don't have an opposing wall, 
you get your water dampening seems like it would be way quicker. And so your, your wave refresh rate might be better. And from a business if, standpoint. Yeah. In the absence of some other wave dampening system, but I mean, all the, the pools that Tom is building, Lockerfeld building uh -huh. have a wave dampening system. So he can run, I mean, you've seen videos of Palm Springs and that's like, there's yeah. even a wave dampening system in there, but he's got another pool up and running a private pool that's got a dampening system. And it's insane, you know, <laughs> like he's got walls on both sides and the waves pump out at whatever intervals you want and it stays glassy. Did you surf so, it yet? No, I'm going soon. That's Probably good. within the next week All or right. so. My, my schedule is wide open. Yeah, me too. Yeah, but this one is, <laughs> you know, it's a private pool, private client. I don't think it's going to see the light of day in uh, wow. public consumption, but it's good for Tom because it gives him a, you know, a place to, to dial in all of his systems, his wave dampening where he can, you know, he's got a lot of projects, you know, in the process of being built. So we're pretty close to it. So it's a good kind of proof of concept for him. Wow. So that, this is blowing my mind a little bit. There's people that yeah. throw down cash out there to build their own private wave pool strictly for surfing. Apparently there's at least one. Wow. <laughs> Crazy. One that I know of. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Goodness. I got to say, like, uh, you're still in touch with the, with the wave pool um world and and as far as i can tell you're you're probably not going to play as big a role in that as you imagined back in 2006 or 7 but at some point during the downtime you said i got to do something and so what was that yeah like you know my background before all the wave pool stuff was um in the snowboarding industry yeah so i was my my last job in the snowboarding industry was i ran the boot division at burton and so I, and that was back, yeah, right before, you know, 97, 98, 99, I was in, I was in snowboarding from, you know, since college all the way through editor of trans world snowboarding magazines. So I was actually an English major and, and a, and a okay. journalist and a writer and an editor out of school. Um, but, you know, I got into the boot side of things and I learned a lot about footwear and a lot about materials and footwear and, you know, something we kind of take for granted now, but back in the early days of snowboarding boots, we were doing EVA heat moldable liners and a company out of Canada intuition invented it and they're still around. And before I worked for Burton, I was doing some work for airwalk and they're like, yeah, these guys in Canada were switching for wave pools to, to snowboard boots. So just hang in there. <laughs> we're going back to surfing in a minute. No worries. Um, these guys in Canada have this liner technology for snowboard boots. Can you fly up there and check it out for us? So I went up and, and this guy takes us to like his little studio and he's like got EVA foam in a sheet, which EVA like at the time was kind of a new material. Like it's now everybody uses it in their midsoles and sneakers and shoes and what pretty, is it you know, it's pretty for? common. What is EVA? Uh, it's actually ethyl vinyl acetate. Okay. Um, you know, it's a, it's a foam and he, he basically has this flat piece of EVA foam that's like seven millimeters thick and it's cut in a weird shape and he glues it together and it, it looks like a big elf boot and he sticks it on my, and he puts it in an oven and then he takes it out and he puts it on my foot and, and then stuffs my foot in a snowboard boot and laces it up. He's like, just wait like 10 minutes. And the whole thing is molded to my foot and felt like warm and like per like the flex on it was perfect and the thing weighed nothing it was literally like weightless and i was blown away and 
came back to Airwalk and they were in Southern California. I'm like, this, these guys are onto something. And so within a year, they did the Airwalk Evolution, which was the first boot, ski or snowboard, with this heat moldable EVA liner. And then within five years, I mean, I think every snowboard and ski boot does that. So now, like, now, like, EVA. So I was so blown away by this, the characteristics of this material, EVA. It's like, it's a foam. It's super light. And it's heat moldable at, like, 100 degrees Celsius, which is, like, 220 Fahrenheit. And I'm like, this material is incredible. Like, at, and when I'm sitting there in Vermont with nothing to do, I'm like, ah, I wonder if I could make, you know, I, I lived in Vermont and New Hampshire and Massachusetts and I surfed in freezing water, like most of the year. And the thing that we hated was gloves. Like the gloves were just horrible. They would leak and they were heavy and neoprene gloves. Like they just didn't work. They just, yeah. you know, they were like disposable. So I'm thinking, man, I got a pro I got a lot of product development experience. What if we made EVA surf gloves? And so I literally tried, you know, and bought me had to make molds, injection molds, and made a bunch of prototypes and had some gloves. And and I was friendly with Tyler Calloway, who ran FCS. Yep. And Tyler's that. a legend. He just what he just was in 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 um Ducked in at the East Coast Surfing Hall of Fame, you know, last January at Surf yep. Expo. And, but he'd been working in the surf industry forever. He was one of our investors in surf parks. Um, and he was in town for the Long Beach Quicksilver Pro in New York. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, hey, Tyler, I got these glove prototypes. They're literally like an injection molded glove, like one piece. And, it, and I could barely get it on my hand. It was like, because the stuff doesn't stretch like neoprene. Like it's, and, I, right. I, I, and it looked like a Frankenstein, like the Hulk, you know, those Hulk hands, those green yeah. things. They <laughs> yeah. kind of look like that. <laughs> and I'm like, Tyler, check this thing out. And he's like, I don't know if he was just being nice to me, but he was like, well, that, there's a lot of potential there. <laughs> <laughs> and so he's like, I want to help you like develop this idea. And, you know, so we, we stayed in contact and ultimately he's like, you know, the glove market's pretty small. Maybe we should do this in boots first, boots instead. And I'm like, I thought for like 10 seconds, I'm like, yeah, you're right. So yeah. I kind of pivoted from gloves to boots and we, we made these Solite boot prototypes back, I don't know when the first first ones were. Like it's 2020 now, probably made them like in 2015. No, even sooner, like maybe 2012. Wow. And so, I was messing around making these boots out of EVA. You know, every other surf booty is neoprene, right? And sure. rubber bonded onto it and vulcanized. And they've been making surf boots the same way since forever. And so I came at it with a, it's like a crock, you know, it's an injection molded EVA. We don't use EVA anymore. We use a special, you know, proprietary foam, right. but it's one piece injection molded. Your whole lower foot is now in, encompassed in this one seamless piece of foam, which is super light super warm and heat moldable, just kind of like what we did with the snowboard boots. And so, and I remember like I had prototypes and I gave a pair to Sam Hammer, who was one of the big New Jersey pros, you know, like yep. one of the best guys, really nice guy. And I'm like, Hey, you want to try these out? And he's like, sure. And he, he, he tried, he, he took them out. And then like a month later, ESM comes out cover shot in a barrel is Sam wearing the boots. And this nice. was like three years before we even launched the company. <laughs> He's like, these things are pretty damn amazing. Like, I think you got something here. And, um, but, you know, long story short, we launched 
we originally were just going to try to sell the technology to all the wetsuit companies like, Oh, rip curl. You want to do a Solite collaboration or Excel or O'Neill and Hurley like, and they all were like, Oh yeah, you know, really into it, you know? And then at the end of the day, like it takes forever to get these guys to commit. Sure. And so finally Tyler and I were just like, you know what, let's just, it's not like we haven't done this before. We've run brands before. Like let's just do our own brand. And so we launched Solite. Um, but no, we did the we did a collaboration with Body Glove, Body Glove Fit, right? And they we did it in fall 2016. So we we did us we released the technology with a Body Glove collaboration, and then Body Glove is pretty, you know, they they're a legendary company, but in terms of volume now in wetsuits, they're pretty small. Yeah. So it wasn't we weren't going to sell a lot of boots just through them, and we decided let's just launch our own brand, Solite Boots. So fall 17 we launched Solite Boots. So we we're just about to launch fall 2020. So it's our fourth season. Nice. Uh, boots are coming off the boat next week. Um, so yeah, that's what I've been doing. <laughs> Unreal. And, yeah. and how's it, how's it going? It's going great. You know, it, I mean, it's the, the, a bunch of events have sort of come together at once, right? Like the ability to run a small business now, direct to sale, direct to consumer is so much easier than it was to start a small brand, a specialty brand, oh, yeah. a niche like we're in, you know, you can set up a Shopify site, you're in business, you know, if you, um, if you have a good product. Um, so it, yeah, I mean, we're, I don't know, doubling, tripling our sales every year. We're, we're a legit brand and we have a UK subsidiary that handles all of Europe. We've got distributors in Europe. We've got distributors in Japan, South America, New Zealand, working on Australia um russia <laughs> nice. everywhere there's cold water not even cold water you know we have reef boots and um yeah it's fun it's fun building a brand for sure and you know tyler and i are working on it every day oh, hopefully really? launching gloves soon and um but yeah it's i'm not out of the wave pool you know i still want to do a wave pool in new jersey close to home and i you know just kind of being much more uh cautious now that I've been through this whole thing. And I'm also watching all these other people, right? Like, I don't want to know if it's bad to pivot back to wave pools, but like there's wave garden in Bristol, UK, there's wave garden in Australia and there's a wave garden in Wales or in, um, you know, the pullable one, the, the uh -huh. original one. So there's actually, you know, only three commercial wave pools open for business right now despite all, you know, that are actually operating businesses. I mean, this later thing is basically 50 grand a day for really wealthy people to rent it out. It's not really a business. It's not like right. you and I can go show up and buy waves. What about so, BSR? Uh, BSR, yeah, sorry, duh, BSR. So there's four. And what's fascinating is actually, you know, knowing behind the scenes, the, the dollars and cents of the whole thing, you know, it's not pretty. I mean, I look at, I'm, I know um, Mick Hounsfeld, who runs the one in Bristol, like his story is a very similar to mine. It took him 10 years to get that thing built, 10 years wow. of work. And what you don't see, you know, he projects this image, you know, on, on Instagram and on the website of how incredible and wonderful this, this wave pool is. And it is, I went there, it's a, it's a blast. But he had, he had a stroke. The guy's like, <laughs> 40 years old and in perfect health. And it is so freaking stressful to, to 
not only to raise the money for these things and build them and, and please all the interests and, and actually run it day to day. The guy had a stroke. I was actually there in January to surf it. And he's not around. I'm like, where's, where's Nick? And oh, he's, he's taken off the weekend. The guy, he had a stroke that weekend. Wow. And he's just recovered now. Like where he's, you know, that was January. Like he's just getting back in the pool now. Nicest guy in the world, like greatest guy. And it, and then, and so, and then a week or two after I left, COVID comes along. They had to close the place. Oh, and you know, the one in, you know, the one in Australia, same deal. Like, so you kill yourself to make these wave pools and you think, yeah. Oh my God, this is the greatest thing ever. And then reality sets in like COVID comes along or you're so stressed, you, you know, like your health just goes, I mean, that's bad. Yeah. So it's, it's, so now my eyes are wide open <laughs> with, with respect to the wave pool business. Like, the fantasy of it is one thing, but the reality is very different. I'm sure. Um, and I, I, I asked Lee, I was going to ask you this question because um, it sounds like, you know, maybe this is what happened to, uh, to that guy, Nick in Bristol, but the, I, I can only imagine the immense amount of pressure um, that would come from trying to create something that is fantasy. Yeah. Like you're, yeah. You're, did you feel that pressure, you know, back in, in 2004, 2006, when you were doing that, did you feel that pressure of like, I'm trying to create something that is literally everyone's fantasy that surfs? Yeah. Can you speak to that? Yeah. Well, I mean, I felt the pressure literally the day after we closed on the financing. Like, I think I had a bottle of champagne to celebrate. And then it was like the shit just immediately started, you know? <laughs> so it's, it's, the pressure to execute on your plan. Yeah. Both from both sides. Like you're, I think you're talking about it. Like from the surfer stand, you're like your, your potential yeah. customers, like you're going to create the dream. I felt that a, a little bit, but I kind of knew we could make a good wave, you know, like, so I, I didn't feel it from that side so much. Like I knew right. we would make a good wave and that people would be stoked. I felt way more pressure from all the other interest parties that had a hand, you know, like that yeah, were yeah. invested in this, you know, investors, and your 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 landlords your sponsors all that other stuff and your banks and like you know you got to actually <laughs> so the pressure was from that side much more than was from like i knew like hey listen if we're if we're 20 percent better than typhoon lagoon people are going to be stoked oh yeah like you know so all we got to do is get rid of that mushy section in the middle <laughs> like right, and we know right. we can do that so yeah it was it was I didn't feel that kind of pressure that we could make a good wave. It was the pressure to like execute the business that you promised. You made a lot of promises to people and that's where the, the pressure was. And I think, I bet you Nick was feeling the same. I, I guarantee you talk to the, the guy, what's his name? Andrew, who runs the one in uh, Australia and Melbourne. Like you, Oh God, imagine these guys in uh Yepun with the plunger pool and how everything keeps going wrong. And then they rebuild, like imagine, how that guy Aaron sleeps at night, you know, like <laughs> I can't, I can't, I, I want no part of it. <laughs> right. So like when I was doing it, we didn't have competition. There was a couple things that kind of popped up while we, you know, a guy, in, you know, James Fulbright in Texas was trying to do something, never got off the ground, but we were kind of on our own. Now imagine you're an entrepreneur in the wave pool field and there's like, I don't know, eight, nine, 10 competing technologies. So you got to win the, the technology, the arms race, and then you got to actually run a business too. And some guy could open one down the street from you. Like uh, skate yeah, parks. Yeah. Like there's just so much risk. <laughs> there's so much risk that it's scary. 
that yeah, is it, crazy. It's kind of like uh, the other side of the the wall. You you've you've not only have you been to both sides of the the war, if you will. I mean, yeah. It's just looking back on it. It seems to me. I, let's put it this way. Every time somebody comes up to me and says, oh, how about this wave park idea? I immediately get a kind of a sour attitude in the back of my head. <laughs> I got to put on a smile and say, yeah, that sounds good, man. Go for it. And, well, it's know. one thing that say like, I know it's a good idea. Like, I know you can make a great wave and everyone can go out and have fun and get their money's worth. Like, I have no doubt about that. But now you got all these other external factors, which yeah. is if it's a really successful business, guess what? It's going to attract a lot of competitors. Yeah. And all of a sudden now you're just fighting, you know, you're just like a coffee shop and there's another coffee shop down the street. Yeah. But your coffee shop costs 20 million bucks to build. Wow. So the stakes are a lot higher. It's just, it's scary when you think about it that way. I, I know that wave pools are going to be a part of, you know, our, our future, our surfing future. I mean, it already is. Um, I mean, dude, another example, the one in the Meadowlands, right? That was the indoor one in New Jersey. That's yep. 20 minutes from my house. I, me and 16 other guys booked two sessions. Will Scudin is running it. And we booked the sessions in, you know, in March or like, you know, back in January and then COVID came along and doom, they never even opened the, the water park yet. It's not even open yet. Wow. Like so many things can go wrong. I mean, I know COVID's a big, you know, a big one, but sure. Um, yeah. There's just, there's just so much, even though I know it's, we're all going to be surfing in wave pools and having a blast. I'm not sure whether being on the side of owner operator is going to be as fun as being on the side of customer. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Isn't that the yeah. truth? Yeah. It sounds I mean, like it's going to be like a boat. Like the best boat is your friend's boat. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> John, yeah. I got to say, uh, speaking to Solite Boots, um, you've, you're actually a pretty good surfer compared to, uh, you know, this end of the microphone. The, uh, oh, the fact you. is you've tried those boots in a cold water environment. Why don't you give us a testimonial, if you will? Oh yeah, they're fantastic. I mean, we, uh, when I first met you, Jamie was, uh, was at Surf Expo a couple years ago with Kevin and, uh, and yeah, you, you hooked me up with a pair of the boots and, um, yeah, they were phenomenal. I mean, super, just like you described, super lightweight and, uh, just real easy. I brought them home, you know, put a kettle on to boil, pour the water in, let it sit for, I think it was like 10 or 12 minutes you know, dump it out, quick flash with cold water, jam your foot in there and let it sit. And uh, yeah, they're phenomenal. And I, and as I understand it, you can, you can repeat that process if you feel like you need to, correct? Yep. Yeah. You can remold them if you need to, but, but you yeah, don't have to. I, mean, I mean, I've had them now for, uh, a, I think going on three, this will be thir third year. Yeah. And I, 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 you know, I still slide my foot in and feel no need to uh, you know, it doesn't feel like they've changed at all. And I've taken them to, I've taken them out to California and, and used them out there. And nice. um, yeah, fan, fantastic. Don't need them much in Florida, but. Don't need them much in Florida. There's a few right. days where the, the air is like 28 degrees and you put them on for that, not for uh -huh. the water necessarily, but. Yeah, um, it's been a really interesting that, process. Yeah, like, I mean, it, we're four years into it. And, and again, it's like, I, I've never been so focused on this tiny little niche it's almost yeah. weird. You know, it's like, a, I have like a foot fetish, right? Like I'm just so, <laughs> just obsessed with this like tiny accessory in the, in the water sports world. It's all I think about now all day. It's a little weird, but people are, I'm glad you like them. I'm glad there's some benefit on the other end of my obsession. Oh yeah. No, they're unreal. Like the, the, um, the, the traction part on the bottom 
is the that's the thinnest I've ever seen. You know, usually yeah. like I remember when XL first came out with like the gum sole on right. the bottom of the boot and and it was it was great and you know and it was that was thin at the time, but this is it literally it looks like a decal that's printed yeah. on the bottom of the material. Yeah. And so yeah, I feel like there's just a, a really um uh, a real benefit there to the the lightweight and the sensitivity that you get. I'm always like I always want materials to be thinner and thinner, like from a traction, sta traction right. standpoint, I always liked the traction that was thinner. You know, some of it was like thick stuff. Some of the old OAM back in the day, the, the first stuff they came out with, God, it was like a half inch thick, you know? Yeah. And now they get it down to where same thing. It almost just, it almost looks like a sticker that you stick on there, but. Yeah. I mean, barefoot feel, that's, a, that's one of our mottos. I mean, you basically yeah. for surfing, you don't want to, you want to pretend you, you want to feel like you're not wearing boots. I think yeah. we've gotten closer than anybody else because our the boots weigh nothing. And they also don't balloon out because the material doesn't like stretch and balloon out. So they stay just kind of really suctioned to your feet. And you kind of just feel like you got a thicker skin on. Uh, yeah, that's it's working for us. Something I noticed because I took them to yeah. San Francisco and uh, I, I was, I, I actually got a, a good session at Dead Man's and uh, the water was like 47, I think 48. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, uh, you know, like, like you were saying, like normally a boot will fill up with water and kind of balloon out at the bottom, but yeah. I almost felt like when the boot got filled with water, it almost kind of forced the water up out the cuff exactly. up your leg because yep. it, the, the, the material doesn't stretch. So yeah, there's exactly. nowhere for that water to go, but up and out. Exactly. You nailed it. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot of this stuff we kind of discovered along the way, like happy accidents, like some of the benefits of the boots, yeah. um, but it's cool. You know, it's cool to have something, bring something different something we patented you know that's like people can't just copy because you look at the all the other boots out there and they're basically the same same technology just different colors and you know sure. there's really not different lining materials you know it's not much real benefits and ours is came out of left field totally different and people who try them are like whoa this is really really is good this really is better yeah so it's fun fun to be totally focused on one one little thing and see how far you can push it yeah, that's awesome. Well, kudos to you and Tyler. I mean, it. Yeah, they're yeah, they're amazing. I've uh, like I said, I've still got that same pair, and uh, they, nice. they're doing great. Good. Thank you. Super stoked. Yeah, absolutely, Jamie. Thanks for sharing everything today with us. I was, I obviously, you know, like looking back on parts of it, and then uh, <laughs> some of them not so much. But I think it's a good topic considering the uh, environment out there in wave pool yes. trial and error. It is the new era of different types of wave pools. We'll see which one survives, not necessarily the VHS or the Betamax, but this is actually going to be the, the most business savvy wave pool that actually can back it up with a good 10 second ride that survives, yeah. I think. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's important to uh, document the past though, as I say, and we'll not make <laughs> yeah. the same mistakes in the future. Right. And uh, thanks again for coming on the show, man. Thank you yeah. for having me. It was a pleasure. Real quick, you know what's funny is yep. that um, I just I've been seeing it a little bit on Instagram, and I think it's probably the safest area of investment, if you want to call it that, in the wave pool uh, phenomenon. And that's a, a buddy of mine out in California. Uh, he started a clothing brand called Country Club Surf Club. Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, that's my, that's a buddy. I'm trying to wrap my head around that. I'm like, what's what are they trying to do here? Like, is this like a, a parody? Like, what is this? What for? Yeah, it's it's my buddy Joe Frizzell. We actually were roommates in uh, Huntington Beach uh, back in like the mid '90s. 
uh, a long time ago. And he said he just did it for fun. He just thought it was funny. Yeah. And, right. uh, and then, yeah, it's taken off. Like he's, people are, you know, he's actually printing like a little small clothing line and, and uh, he's doing great with it. So yeah, that, that might be the fun thing to do in wave pool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or, or maybe just a food truck in the, in the wave pool. Oh yeah. There you go. <laughs> Awesome. Well, th thanks again for being with us, Jamie. We really appreciate yep. you, you guys. Kind of, uh, you know, taking us on a little historical road trip as to you know how you went about it and uh, how, what, like what went right and, and things that went wrong. And um, so, yeah, we we really appreciate that. And uh, yeah, hopefully the next time we are talking about a wave pool, it's because we're all surfing one together. Yeah, that, that sounds good. There'll be there'll be plenty in the next five years. We'll have our choice. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right thanks for joining us folks i uh, hope you learned a little bit about uh surf parks and wave pools and how they work and maybe why they don't work <laughs> yeah no kidding i swear we uh we have both jamie but and I, but all of the other investors and, and the people that, you know, thought this thing was going to come to fruition, like a little, anytime we hear the name word phrase surf park, it's like, <laughs> oh God, okay. Yeah. And then you take a deep breath and go, yep, I want it to happen. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But we did all agree that uh, it might be better to enjoy it as customers rather than owner operators. Yeah, I'll take that all day long. <laughs> all right. What's coming down the pipe, Kevin? Well, good news. We have, I don't know how he agreed to hang out with us for an hour, but Ira Opper, the uh, Emmy award-winning producer, director, uh, and Desert, you know, Secrets of Desert Point. Yeah, yeah. Secrets of Desert Point. We showed that uh, two years ago at the yeah, festival. 2017. Yeah. And man, what a, what a beautiful film. And as Kevin said, Ira has won multiple Emmys. Uh, as a filmmaker, director, producer, um, gosh, he worked on the 84 Olympics. Uh, he did the Surfer Magazine episodes for ESPN. He produced and directed for Fuel TV. What, what hasn't the guy done? I mean, in... I think what we're trying to say is he has some stories. Yeah, absolutely. So we, we look forward to having Ira join us and hear about some of his crazy stories uh, through the years uh, working on all these films. Yeah, I'm excited. Awesome. Yeah. And uh, lastly, we'll thank uh, our sponsors for the Florida Surf Film Festival, uh, presenting sponsor Monster Energy, um, Rourke Apparel, Globe Footwear, uh, Yeti, uh, the Atlantic Center for the Arts, the beautiful venue where we get to host it. Um, Advent Health. Advent Health. Uh, our media partners, Surfline.com and the Surfer's Journal. Thanks to all those folks, and we'll catch you guys next time talking with Ira. Surfline.